We're going to continue to worship Jesus together with the reading of Scripture, and this morning we'll be in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, and we'll read through verse 14. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and they said, and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray together. Father, we've read your word and now we ask for help from the Holy Spirit to help us to understand what we've read and really asking for grace not to just have heard it, but we would be doers of the word. We really would seek to take care of one another. We really would exhort one another. We we wouldn't go through life as a people that sort of kind of know one another, but we would understand as your people we are called to really help each other. So I'm asking for grace that you'd help us know how to really help one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, with uh, Hebrews chapter 3 open there before you, the title of this morning's message is Taking Care of Each Other. And just for a moment, I want you to look around the room at the other people in the room. Just kind of look to your left and look to your right, the other living, breathing human beings in the room. And on the authority of Scripture, I just want to tell you that you're responsible for one another. The people in the room around you, you're responsible for them, for helping one another. There's not anybody in the room that doesn't need the help of the other people in the room, nor is there anybody in the room who doesn't need the help of the people that are going to help them. But I want us to really think about for a moment what that really means to help each other. Hey, y'all, it's always been true. We really need each other. I think maybe part of what we're all carrying is uh, we, we thought we were coming out of some things and it was all going to be sunshine ahead. And now we're dealing with the reality that it doesn't seem that way, does it? As long as it is called today. I love what Adrian Rogers says. He says, the devil has two days, yesterday and tomorrow. And the devil doesn't really matter to him what you do as long as you purpose to do it tomorrow. Just have at it. Just do it tomorrow. Today is the Lord's day. Today, if you hear His voice, 
Do not harden your hearts. How does your heart get hardened? By hearing what he says and not doing it. So I want us to see, here's what he says about your responsibility for each other. But if you hear that, and in the coming days don't do that, what happens is your heart just gets hardened. And what is your heart getting hardened towards? The voice of the Lord, right? If you hear his voice and then don't do what he says, the next time he begins to speak to you from his word, and you haven't done, you understand it's a progressive. Your heart gets harder and harder. There's so much to be learned from the passage. Uh, First off, we see uh, clearly to listen to the voice of God immediately. We taught our children to to, to obey means to to do what you're told when you're told right away with with a good heart attitude. We also see from the passage, these are just a few things that are important. These aren't going to be our main points, but our decisions are made in the heart. It's the real you. And guard yourself, please. In Jesus' name, guard yourself from external modifications. That's, what, that's not what following Christ is about. It's about the heart. And, and there's no real rest in God apart from obedience to God. I think we want the rest without the obedience. But what I really want us to do is to zoom in on verses 12 through 14 and see how we're called to, to take care of, of one another and to, to, to know how to take care of one another from God's perspective. So I know we've said this a couple of times recently. Everything that, that God makes is counterfeited. Everything he makes is counterfeited, and the more precious it is, the more likely it is to be counterfeited. And God has made you for friendship with other people, to have real friends, but friendship itself is a God-given need that is counterfeited. So we want to understand from the Scripture so that you can interpret who's really your friend in life. Because if you're not careful, people doing real harm to you, you count them as your, your friends. Now, I'm not saying you'd be mean to people. You know what I'm saying. But oftentimes, the person who's most helpful to us is not the ones that we really view as friends. So if you've got an outline, I want you to follow it along with me. And we'll start here. Understanding our need for friendship begins with understanding our creation our fall, and how God redeems us. One of the most important facts about you is how you understand you, who you really are, what you're really here for, and how we got where we are. Yeah, whatever, whatever way you kind of exist in the world, you, you have to answer a few important questions, and here they are. Where did we come from? Where are we going And we can look around the world and say, what's wrong with the world? Hold your spot there in Hebrews 3. And turn with me. Let's go back to the beginning, Genesis 1. I want you to see something that, man, is so important. Genesis 1. Easiest chapter in the Bible to find, right? So you got your Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 1. We're not going to read all these verses, but, but there's a pattern in Genesis 1, and it goes like this. God creates light. He says it's good. There's morning and evening the first day. God creates heaven and earth and land and water, says that it's good. There's morning and evening, and that pattern keeps going until we get to verse 26. Then there's a little bit of a difference, and that difference is important. 
teaches you something about you. Then God said, verse 26, Genesis 1, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, something happens there. And to be specific, God does something with Adam and Eve, the, the male and female, that he hasn't done any time else. Do you know what it is? It's, it's right here in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, doesn't happen anywhere else that God speaks who does he speak to those made in his image now we can all agree uh, where you end up depends on where you started this is the starting point according to scripture about you God created you in such a way that if you got your outline, I'll just try to say it this way. We were created to depend on God to understand our identity, our meaning, and our purpose. Who are you? It's important that we see that when God speaks to them, He doesn't speak to the creeping things. He doesn't speak to the stars. He speaks to them. He explains to them who they are and what they're to do with their lives. This is, this is important. I'll try not to keep saying that. I get on my nerves when I keep saying that. It's not up to them to decide their identity, purpose, and meaning. It's not up to them to say, this is who I am. They receive that from the Lord. So, so God creates us in His image to be recipients not declarers. Does that make sense? We're not created to be independent from God, and we're not created to be independent from one another. So, so let's remember, this is before the fall. God has created us as those who receive from Him our understanding of identity, meaning, and purpose. Now, after the fall... When we're born into the world, we don't enter the world understanding our identity, meaning, and purpose as coming from God. But that doesn't mean you don't look for them somewhere, right? It's how everyone is wired. Every human being looks for identity, meaning, and purpose somewhere. We're created by God to find those things from Him. And, and the fall occurs... Just so we're tracking along, still got your outline, occurred when human beings listened and obeyed the counsel of the deceiver. So just starting here again at the beginning, Genesis 1 matters, Genesis 3 matters, Genesis 3 verse 1, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. See, God's not the only one speaking to them. 
there's a deceiver. And he also speaks. And he says, God knows that when you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes and make one desire to be wise, she took a bit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The eyes of both were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So God's not the only one who gives counsel on how to interpret identity, meaning, and purpose. The deceiver takes the same facts and reinterprets them. Eve and Adam believe them. So we not only receive revelation from God, we also interpret reality on the basis of what we have received. To give an illustration, I thought this was a really helpful one. Paul Tripp, one of my favorite authors, uh, he, he gives this illustration. He has a doctorate in theology. So he's often called Dr. Tripp. And he tells a story of, of when his sons were in the backyard. One, one was uh, six or seven years old, and the, uh, and the second son was three years old at the time. The older son was throwing rocks up. I can relate to this, having grown up with two older brothers. Throwing rocks up and hitting the rock with a uh, rake handle. So the, the, the older boy's tossing the rock up and hitting him when the three-year-old boy walks in the backyard and just gets nailed in the head with a rock. So... Everybody, don't do that. Don't throw up rocks and hit them with rakes. So his, his three-year-old son fell to the ground bleeding. So Paul Tripp raced up to him, and he found his three-year-old boy bleeding heavily from the forehead with his, with his lips moving. And as Paul Tripp got, got close, he, he says that his son was laying there quietly. And he was saying something over and over. And when he leaned down, he hears his son say, I'm just so glad my daddy's a doctor. I'm just so glad my daddy's a doctor. Just so glad. My... So, so, of course, to the boy, three years old, he believes his daddy's a medical doctor who's ready to help. But that's not the kind of doctor he is. So here's what he writes in his book. My son's interpretation shaped his responses to the situation. First, it conditioned his emotions. His lack of fear was based on a particular assumption about how much danger he was in. Second, his interpretation of life defined his identity. He thought he was the son of a medical professional. This interpretation defined third, how he thought about others. He had infinite confidence in me. Fourth, his thinking shaped his view of the solution. Very simply, daddy would take care of it. Fifth, and finally, his assumptions about reality shaped the way he would receive counsel. In his ignorance, my son had implicit faith in whatever instructions and assessments, and, and assessments I offered. That makes sense. How you view yourself matters. How you view God matters. And so, so God designs us to receive from him our understanding of our identity, meaning, and purpose. That matters because you're told constantly that you decide your meaning, identity, and purpose. So when we reject that, that revelation from God, we don't stop trying to interpret identity, meaning, and purpose. We just begin to do so foolishly. So our thinking conditions our emotions, our sense of identity, our view of others, our agenda for the solution to our problems, and our willingness to receive counsel from others. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What is an evil, unbelieving heart? It's declaring that I don't need, want to listen, need or want to listen to God or anybody else. So the tragic irony is in declaring independence from God, not only do we fail to obtain godlike status, which is what Adam and Eve wanted, we also forfeit our actual humanity. And friends, that's the world. God said you get dominion over the fish, the birds. They wanted dominion over God. And now we seek dominion over each other. That's every war that's been fought since. That's, it. that's what's going on right now. So, here's the good news. God's responded to that. God's responded to what Adam and Eve did. God's responded to what I've done. And and God redeems those who repent and believe in Christ and restores us to a right relationship with Him, right? I mean, we had had communion last uh, Sunday, and and one of the things that I'm... uh, encouraging us when we have communion is when we have communion, we are declaring together the opposite of what Adam and Eve were saying in the garden at the fall. At the garden at the fall, they were saying, we'll be God. We don't need you. We can be God. You'll be light. You'll have your eyes open. You'll be like God, knowing good and, uh, good and evil. And that's in the pattern, Genesis 3, of God creating, saying it's good. God creating, saying it's good. So the offer, the forbidden fruit is, you can claim that status for yourself and you decide what is right and wrong and you probably already had this thought that the bible's account of the fall is our culture's account of salvation that you follow your heart you decide and we can at least agree on this it can't be both it can't be both so so as a revelation receiver from God, this passage helps us to be friends with, with other people. Needing friends is part of the design of God. So, so it's a hard heart that says, I don't need anybody's help or input. That's the evidence of a hard heart. So let's go back here to Hebrews 3. Because if you're really going to be somebody's friend, you need to know that this is what's going on in them and in you, quite frankly, Right? So here's what, here's what we're told. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. If you're ever going to offer real counsel to real friends, the real counsel that you offer to real friends has to be in line with encouraging them not to fall away from the living God. And I will go on, and, um, on, on the basis of how much that friend is led by the Holy Spirit is how they'll receive that right or or well or not so well, right? Because here's what gets twisted. When you make yourself God, you say, I'll be friends on the basis of people acknowledging that I run my own life. That's kind of what's happened now. You can only be friends with people to the extent that you sort of not give counsel to them, but affirm where they already are. That's not real friendship. But exhort one another 
Now, I think it is helpful, verse 12, take care, brothers, verse 13, but exhort one another, verse 14, for we share. So this is talking about friendship in the context of believers in Jesus. What are we exhorting one another unto? Exhort one another, how often? According to verse 13, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this needs to be not just on your radar screen, this needs to be a huge part of your life, that you have a a desire to help brothers and sisters in Christ continue to pursue the Lord Jesus. And we're to exhort one another away from the deceitfulness of sin. Do you ever read Genesis 3 and in your own mind you say, man, I'd like to step in there and give Eve some counsel. What you're about to do is going to destroy you. You think it's going to liberate you. It's actually going to destroy you. Now, we can't do that with Eve, but you can do that with your friends. Man, there have been so many people that I care about deeply. Has this ever happened to you that you know they are heading in a direction they think this is going to be life. It's like, like the prodigal. I'm going to go to the far country and it's going to be awesome. A real friend says, life is to be found in, in Christ. We exhort one another away from the deceitfulness of sin. And I love verse 14. We share in Christ. If you're a follower in Jesus, you look around the room, other followers of Jesus, this is what we have in common. We share in Christ. That's what we have uh, in, in common. In Genesis 1, God speaks to them. In Genesis 3, the deceiver speaks to them. So you receive unwise, foolish, and false counsel all the time. But listen to what the Bible says. The deceitfulness of sin. So here's, where, here's, here's the real world. Sin and the voice of the enemy doesn't sound deceitful. It often sounds like this is what I should do. Now, here's where we get trapped. The deceitfulness of sin will lead you to start stepping away from God's word and stepping away from other people who trust God's word. Remember the proverb, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. If you get to the point in your life where you say, I don't, want to, I don't care about what anybody else says, you're in a dangerous place. So in light of this, still got your outline, I am constantly giving wise or foolish counsel to my friends. Constantly giving wise or foolish counsel to my friends. So again, Genesis 3 teaches us that there's another voice. So as you're a friend to other people, you, you're sort of an ambassador either of God or an ambassador of the father of lies. That's what Jesus warns us about. I mean, which one are you? The, the counselor, I'm sorry, the, the serpent, that other speaker, that other counselor takes the very same facts that God had given in Adam and Eve and he reinterprets them. So, so again, in our culture, we're told again and again, that the account of the fall is actually sort of the steps of salvation, declaring for myself my identity, my purpose, and my meaning. Here's, here's, here's why it's the deceitfulness of sin, because you think that you're getting freedom that way, and really you're getting the opposite. At the fall, 
Adam and Eve, these are important things that happen. They reject God's character as good. They reject God's plan as good. And their need to depend on him, they say, is invalid. Um, Speaking of wisdom, let's turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. You got your Bible? Let's go to Proverbs, chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 17. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So, uh, what are you being sharpened with right now? What are you being sharpened with? If we just went from last Sunday to this Sunday, and you take inventory of your time, what you've listened to, what you've watched, what you've looked at, is, is that time spent being sharpened? People that you've talked to. What are you being sharpened with? And then what are you being sharpened for? There's kind of three ways that you can look at other people. Like understand your role in their lives and their, li- their, their role of their lives in, in, in your life. Two are rooted in the fall and one is rooted in our redemption in Christ. So, so let's talk about the first two. First of all, that you, you go through life thinking that you are um, ahead of others. You're just racing to get ahead. More. More status. More money. More, 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 more. And you see other people as competing with you for that more. So you live as if you're ahead of others. Another way in the fall is that you, you look to be above others. Better than. You saw uh, the fall. Adam and Eve go from uh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, to after the fall. It's all her fault. Right? That's what happens. It's not my fault. Her fault. And by the way, God, is your fault. What is Adam doing? Saying, I'm above her. She's beneath me. It's the amazing thing about Jesus. He really is above us. He really does have authority over us, but he came in the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, as the scripture says. So in Christ, we, we don't seek to live above or ahead of others. We, we seek now to live alongside, equally in need of grace, and sharing a common belief about our identity, mission, and purpose. So I'm constantly giving wise or foolish counsel to my friends. I'm constantly receiving wise or foolish counsel from my friends. Here's what Hebrews is teaching us. I need to humbly live as one who needs truth to live by outside of myself. One of the verses that I pray most for my children comes from Jeremiah. I believe it's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all other things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So, so when someone kind of boastfully says, well, I'm just going to follow my own heart, you're, you're saying I'm going to follow the most deceitful thing that there is. The first step to falling for the deception is to believe that you can trust your own heart or that you even understand your own heart. 
So I need to humbly live as one who needs truth outside of myself. Hey, we were in Hebrews uh, 3. Just briefly, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, so we're still talking about friendships in the context of followers of Jesus, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is open through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. the last point there on the outline I both need to exhort others and be exhorted by others who follow Christ Christ crucified buried risen and soon coming again well let's be practical for just a moment at the conclusion of the of the sermon Um, last week we talked about tithing your time you know generally speaking you've got 30 days a month so a, a tenth of that would be three, three days. And we talked about last week that uh, in the context of Christ-centered friendships, that, that you could take a, a night a month where you really sit down at the table, taking a cue from the early church, sit down at the table and really speak to other people in person, other believers. And then maybe you could take a night a month where you're reaching out to people who don't follow or understand Jesus. And then a third night where you could bring the two together. Now, part of exhorting one another is this, Sunday morning. My goal is to exhort you unto unto Christ. But you need real friendships. If you just look at the life of Jesus, he had three men in particular. Peter, James, and John. If you read about his life. He's a friend to everybody, but he's got three friends. Do you have three friends? I think last week the way we asked it was if you were to leave here right now and I asked you to drive to your best friend's house, where would you go? Is that person following Christ in a deeper way because you're their friend? That's, that's what Hebrews is talking about, right? So, so you, you need people that, that you're honest with and you meet with. So here's just kind of how I jotted it down. At least once a month. You sit down and got a cup of coffee or shelter here near the playground or take a walk. And, and you ask three things. You don't, have to, you don't have to articulate it this exact way, but you need people to do this. How's your life going right now? How's your life going right now? Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy how we can go through months without anybody asking that in a real way? Do you know what I mean? I mean, you probably got asked this morning, how are you doing? And you probably said, fine. But are you? Because the great temptation for us is to go through life, coming to church, but pretending how we really are. And one of the things we've got to just crucify, and I I'm, and I'm kind of mean that, I'm not trying to be dramatic, crucify as a church family is 
not being honest with how life really is going because you feel some sort of pressure. Don't, do you feel pressure that, that if you are to follow Jesus, then everything in my life has to be okay? But would you get that from the passage that we read this morning? Here's what you would, here's what you would understand if you understand the Scripture. Man, there's stuff wrong with me. <laughs> stuff wrong with me from the fall. I want to be God. I don't want to listen to anybody else. Maybe, maybe next week we'll hand out name tags and you just, we can all just be honest. I don't want to, here's who I am. I don't want to listen to anybody else. That's my nature. It's how I'm born. But now that we're born again, we need each other. So, so back to the three questions that you can ask. How's your life really going right now? Second, what are you really encouraged about in the Lord right now? Exhort one another. And then third, what's really challenging in life right now? What deceptions are you prone to believing and trusting? Because here's what I've seen over and over and over and over again. Is people head to the pit and don't have one single person say, Are you sure you want to go that way? Are you sure you want to head in that direction? How's your life really going right now? What, what are you really encouraged about? in the Lord. What's really challenging you? Now, this only works, only works if you're honest. We, we just don't need to add this to the list of all the stuff we pretend about, right? It only works if you're honest. Ray Ortland, I know I've said it before, but I love the quote. He says, you can either really be impressive to other people or you can really be known by other people, but you cannot be both. If we don't do this, what is Hebrews telling us? Now, I just want to base everything I say on the Scripture. Exhort one another every day. Well, maybe I need correction. I just said do it once a month. But exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today. See, see we're going to, you've heard in a couple of different ways, we're, we're headed to the day of the Lord. We're headed to a, where time won't be what it is, you know. It won't be today, it'll just be forever. But as long as it's today, you need to exhort. None of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So if you don't do this, you'll, you'll drift from the Lord. And, and quickly start to, again, get your meaning and purpose and identity from somewhere other than Him. We need each other, right? And you need other people to really help you. And honestly, there's not anything in the Bible that tells you that you alone best gauge your spiritual health. In fact, you'll, you'll see the opposite over and over again. Again, I'm not going to pick up the guitar, but the illustration that we've been using lately is, uh, you know, the, the Bible says in Romans 8 that the creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but him, because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay. So, so the world we live in right now is futile. And as an example of what it would mean to be futile is if I got that guitar and I said... I'll take requests right now. What do you want to hear? And it wouldn't work. All that I would play would be noise. Something wrong with me, but then also, and I certainly won't do this, if I started, went over there and all those knobs and I just started twisting them. So everything was out of tune. Here's friendship. Friendship is not two people who have something wrong with them picking up two instruments that are completely out of tune and trying to make music. Now, if you're going to tune a guitar... There's got to be something outside. Here's what friendship is. How do you sound this week? You know what I'm saying? And you strum. No. But the scripture says 
you know what, this, this week I've been tempted to lie. To, but the Scripture says don't. So, so, so now we, we begin to be tuned. But here's in conclusion, again and again, you're told, you tune your heart by your own heart. It doesn't work. We tune our hearts by the cross. Amen? That is where God demonstrates His love for us. We demonstrate what we really wanted from God in Genesis 3. And that garden became a grave. God demonstrates His heart for us. We read it from John's Gospel. Mary said, I thought this was a grave. And Jesus says, no, I'm turning it back into a garden. This past week on a Tuesday night, I took one of my little girls to a soccer evaluation. She's going to play soccer in the city league. and I could tell as we were on our way there, a little bit nervous, don't know what to expect. And then we, and then we got out there, and, and um, she went through the soccer evaluations. And, man, we're leaving. She just had the biggest smile on her face, like kind of skipping, walking. You know how little girls can skip, walk. And... Uh, I, I didn't even start the conversation. She just said, Daddy, this was so much fun. And I said, really, Sugar, what did you like about it? Here's what she said. I made a friend. I made a friend. And that was just a little glimmer of what God has given us in the gift of friendship. Godly friendships are not found. They're built. So what would be the first step you would take to, to either deepen or cultivate a godly friendship where you are exhorted to stay faithful to the Lord. What would the first step be for you to do that? I think it begins by agreeing with God that this is an actual need that you have. And in this time we live, you don't need a friend who agrees with you about you. You need a friend who agrees with God about you. The fall left them alone, isolated, and fallen. But God responded to them with grace. That's why we love to sing it, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. So one of the greatest blessings we receive in Christ is the opportunity for real friendship with God. And through that, he opens the door back through real friendship with one another. So let's stand together. We'll pray together, sing together, look to the Lord together. And I pray by God's grace, you both appreciate um, your need for not friends who happen to be Christians, but for Christian friendship. You both appreciate more deeply your need for that and by God's, that same grace at work, your desire to be that kind of friend to other people. So let's pray together. Father, at that table, you said no longer, the Lord Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. The whole gospel is about how you took your enemies and have transformed us into your friends. And, and may that be what motivates and sustains the friendships we have with each other. Father, I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I just really do believe we're going to need each other. And it can't be surface, shallow relationships. It has to be deep, Christ-centered friendships. So may that be true for us here at this church. In Jesus' name, amen.